So Lord, we thank you that you are our helper. Lord, in times of trouble, in times of despair, and in times of pain. And Lord, that you are also um, there with us in times of joy, because you're the source of our joy. And so we thank you first and foremost, uh, Lord, this evening, that, that by your grace that you call us, uh, because of because of Jesus' death on the cross, and because you claimed us uh, by faith, we received you, Lord. You call us your children, and um, and so you're uh, gradually making us into the image of Christ. We thank you for this, and so we pray, Lord, this evening as we uh, lay ourselves before Lord at your feet, and we lay ourselves before your Word, and the teaching of it, and the expounding of it. We just pray that our ears and our minds and our hearts will be open and ready. Um, ready to hear what you would have to say, and ready to put it to practice. And so we just pray that seeds will be planted, that might bear fruit, and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Good evening. Welcome back to Wednesday night, Parkland Chapel. Kind of feel like we need the Arsenio Hall whoop, whoop, whoop thing going on. Nobody did that for me, but thanks anyway. I don't have a, uh, I don't have a screen, so. All right. Well, we are going to be uh, in Mark, back in Mark. It's been a few weeks, so to start off this evening, we are going to uh, actually do an overview right off the bat. So, if you would, turn with me to the book of Mark. And I just wanted to walk back through the first three chapters, uh, not in depth, but just like a 30,000-foot overview of things so that we can get uh, an idea of where we've been since it's been, you know, five or six weeks since we've been together. And starting off in chapter 1, as we page down through here, we'll notice that we get the introduction to John the Baptist. Uh, In verse 14, we've got the start of Jesus' ministry. Uh, Moving on to uh, verse 21, we see the first of the miracles in the book of Mark. And then as we, uh, again, fly over into chapter 2, we see that Jesus' ministry is starting to pick up. So it's starting to gain some steam, and it's also uh, picking up controversy. So uh, I apologize, I can't see that. I'll just have you yell it out to me. In verse 13, we see that uh, the calling of Matthew, so that was a controversial thing right there in verse 13 because Matthew was, of course, a tax collector, not a very popular person even today, not a very popular person. Um, And then we move on into uh, verse 23. We've got controversy over the work on the Sabbath. So we've got the, the disciples walking through the fields, picking off the heads of grain and popping them in their mouth and and the Pharisees pop out of the, the fields like they're on hee-haw and say, hey, man, what are you doing? And we've got a little bit of controversy there. And then in chapter 3, we see the controversy now starts to lead to all-out conspiracy. So in verse 6, uh, we actually see for the first time the Pharisees working together with the Herodians actually plotting to kill Jesus and take his life. And they couldn't agree on anything, the Pharisees and the Herodians, other than the fact that they hated Jesus. So uh, moving on from there, we see in verse 13, the 12 apostles are actually named for the first time. And then uh, in verse 20 and 21, we see that Jesus' family begins to actually reject him even. 
And uh, as a matter of fact, at the end of verse 21, they say he is out of his mind. So they've already decided that Jesus is cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. Uh, they've, they've had it with him. He's, he's out of his mind. And then in verse 31, what that leads to is the new relationships are defined of what a family really looks like. So we get this first image of what the body of Christ and the church is actually going to look like as Jesus says, you know, who are my brothers? Who is my mother? So that leads us up to chapter 4, verse 1, where we're going to be at this evening. Look at that. He's got it down. New guy. All right. Uh, we are going to be covering the parable of the seed and the sower this evening. You can see just how clever I am. Uh, first time guy. I've entitled this to seed or not to seed. My lovely bride said it would be uh, smarter to say to sow or not to sow, but she doesn't understand how this stuff works because she's a girl. So I t- entitled it to seed or not to seed just because it sounds better. But uh, before we get into that and before we dig into that, I wanted to talk about the purpose of parables. So what is the purpose of parables? To start off with, the definition, according to Easton's Bible Dictionary, is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Uh, now then, the next point is parables are there to thoroughly confuse people. No, not at all. They're not there to confuse. It's actually there to make a connection with the audience. So Jesus uses parables as a way to make a connection. We know that in this uh, area, the Israelites were primarily an agrarian society. So he uses a story of the seed and the sower to try to connect and draw people back in. Up to this point in his ministry, um, he hasn't used this, so we see a, a clear transition at this point in time with how he is going about his teaching. Um, the next thing it does, so parables also um, actually are a way of communicating from community to community. So they didn't have cell phones, they didn't have newspaper, they had letters in some format, but most of the people uh, were illiterate. They didn't have schools like we have. So if you wanted to pass information on from spot to spot, community to community, you could bundle it up in a nice story, everybody can remember the story, and it can be passed on. And it can also be used to pass it on from generation to generation. So we see this idea of being able to tell your children a story that maybe your father or grandfather. So I like the picture of Grandpa sitting in a cool swivel stool like this, like that. And he's got grandkid sitting on his knee, and he's able to actually share with them a story that they can then pass on to their children later on. And if you would, turn with me. Now that I got you all the way to chapter 4 of Mark, I'm going to ask you to turn back to Psalms 78. I'm not going to read all of Psalm 78. If I did, that would fill up my whole half hour. And by the end of this, you might say it was more productive, but we're going to be positive. So Psalm 78, we're going to look at verses 1 through 5. Uh, Give ear, O my people, to my law. Incline your hearts to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old which we have heard and known and our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, telling to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wonderful works that he has done. So we've got this image of being able to tell a story to your children, being able to pass on to them the praises and the great works that the Lord has done. And obviously they had a lot of stories to share from generation to generation as they, as they were brought out of Egypt and all the different stories that go into that. And then lastly, uh, on the slide, you'll see 
that it fulfilled prophecy. We know that Jesus said, I did not come to destroy the law, but to fulfill the law. And we see his fulfillment of the law in uh, these different prophetic sections. You've got uh, Isaiah. We've also got Jeremiah 5.21 and Ezekiel 12.2. We're not going to read those just yet because Jesus actually covers some of this in Mark chapter 4. So if you would, turn back with me all the way back to Mark start off with verse 1. And again, he began to teach by the sea, and a great multitude was gathered to him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea, and the whole multitude was on the land facing the sea. So right here, we've got Jesus setting the stage. He's uh, in a boat in the Sea of Galilee. He's got this beautiful backdrop, uh, and and you see that when we mentioned earlier the agrarian society, You've got, you see the, the different fields and whatnot around it. You've got Jesus out in the boat. This is the perfect amphitheater setup. If any of you are concert goers, I know that in a previous life I was an outdoor concert goer. I loved the outdoor area, and you've got the, the best place to watch an outdoor concert is a, an amphitheater. And you've got this lawn set up with the people on the mountain. And you, you, if any of you have gone to those outdoor concerts, you know the lawn people are where the crazy people sit. So you've walked by, that's where things kind of smell funny, and we, we're not sure what's going on there, but we know that it's, it's probably not good. But I, I don't think they had lawn people at this time. But either way, I, I digressed. You get the idea. This is the, the backdrop for this. So moving into the parable itself. In uh, verse 2, And then he taught, and he taught them many things by parables, and said to them in his teaching, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow, and it happened as he sowed that some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds of the air came and devoured it. Some fell on the stony ground where it did not have much earth, and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it was scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. And some seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no crop. But other seed fell on the good ground and yielded a crop that sprang up increased and produced some 30-fold, some 60, and some 100. So there's the parable. Jesus lays out this beautiful story, and he lists out four different types of soils for us. The first one is the wayside. So in this picture I tried to put up on the uh, screen, the wayside was the walk path. That's the area that is in between the fields where, where folks are walking on. It's getting trampled, so it's very hard. Um, the next section, if any of you have ever seen or been around farming, you'll know that as the fields are plowed, a lot of times they'll work up rocks. And those rocks you'll take and you'll pitch them out at the end of a uh, row. So you get this lining of stones and rocks that are out along past the edge of the field, but between there and the walk path. The third type is this thorny soil. When you're farming and you're making those turns, you know, at the end of these uh, rows, a lot of times you'll get a little bit of extra area cultivated out there. It's perfect for growing something, but if it doesn't get any seed on it, it's just going to grow up in weeds and thicket and thorns. And then the fourth type, you've got the good ground. You've got the, the soil that's ready to be planted. It's ready to receive seed. What a beautiful picture I found there. If nobody else is going to compliment me, I'm going to do it myself, so I'm just saying. All right, now moving on to Verse 9, and he said to them, he who has ears, let him hear. 
And this phrase is a phrase that we see Jesus uh, say to the seven churches in Revelation chapters 2 and 3. And I like, uh, I actually put one of the sections that he, that he had in chapter 2, verse 7, to the church at Ephesus. Uh, I can't read it from here, but you guys can. In verse 11, then, we've got, um, I'm going to read verses 10 and 11. But when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parable. And he said to them, To you it has been given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. But to those who are outside, all things come in parables. So Jesus talks to them about the mystery of the kingdom of God in verse uh, 11. And we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 16, 6 through 16, uh, a few weeks back, we went through this on Sunday that Paul also talks about the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. And what Paul actually says is those mysteries are revealed through the Holy Spirit. So uh, thinking about that idea, the mysteries are revealed through the Holy Spirit. We know that in Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost, that Holy Spirit was actually poured out on the 120 believers that were gathered in the uh, upper room. And at that point on, those mysteries of the, of the kingdom of God began to be revealed because they were using the Holy Spirit to actually look at the text as they went back through that. That's when we see Peter and his Im- impassioned speech. And really, the remainder of the New Testament is written after this uh, outpouring of the Holy Spirit happens. So those mysteries begin to be revealed to us because of that. Uh, in verse 13 then, no, oh, I'm sorry, I'll finish 12 and 13. So that seeing they may see and not perceive, and hearing they may hear and not understand, lest they should turn and their sins be forgiven. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? And I think he probably paused right there. And he looked around and he saw faces that looked about like this. What? No, they didn't, they didn't understand it at all. A poor Bill doesn't understand. The baby doesn't understand. This gymnast, she's thoroughly confused. Nobody wants to actually speak up, though, and say that they don't understand anything. So I think they're all standing around waiting for the first person that's going to admit that they have no idea what Jesus just shared with them. And then he follows it by saying, how then will you understand all the parables? Well, thankfully for us, Jesus has grace upon us, and he decides to explain it. All right, in verse 14, we see really the key to this entire section, because Jesus gives us uh, a clue. He really gives us the, the, the peace that we needed. The sower sows the word. And what is the word that's being sown? Uh, if we turn to, to the Gospel of John, in the first chapter, and we look at verses 1 through 3, we see in verse 1 that in the beginning was the word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. So, right there is a pretty clear definition of what the Word was. But if we skip on to verse 14, we'll see, And the Word became flesh, and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, and the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So now we know that the Word was, in fact, Jesus Christ in the flesh. Uh, Jesus continued to explain, and he said, as, in verse 15 of Mark 4, as these are the ones by the wayside where the word is sown, when they hear, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. 
These likewise are the ones sown on stony ground, who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with gladness, and they have no root in themselves, and so they endure only for a time. Afterward, the tribulation or persecution arises for the word's sake. Immediately they stumble. Now, these are the ones sown among the thorns. They are the ones who hear the word, and the cares of the world and deceitfulness of riches and, de- and the desires of other things entering in choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. But these are the ones sown on good ground. Those who hear the word, accept it, and bear fruit, some thirtyfold, some sixty, and some a hundred. So what Jesus does for us is he lays out four different types of conditions of our heart. The first one uh, being the hard-heartedness, where the word never really stands a chance. The next one being the stony heart, where we've got, you know, a little bit of early growth, but as soon as some pressure is applied, burn up and gone. And the third and the fourth ones are really the ones that I want to talk about uh, this evening. The, the third one being the thorny heart, where we've got this, this growth, but no yielding of any kind of fruit. And, and what I really would compare this to, I put a picture up there of a rose bush. Um, to me, this imagery of, a ro- of roses, at our last house in Charleston, Illinois, we had these beautiful roses that covered the walkway as you walked up to the house. And Angela did a great job. She kept them trimmed and pruned, and, and these flowers would just pop out, and, and people would drive by, and, oh, my goodness, look at those roses. But the problem is, underneath the roses were the nastiest mess of thorns you'd ever seen. We have two little twin boys who are about a year and a half old. They're just beginning to walk, and they're kind of doing that drunk sailor walk, you know, where it's two steps forward, one step sideways. You're not really sure which way they're going. Walk, and the next thing you know, we've got a chance that they're going to fall into the rose bushes, right? So my wife does what any wife would do. She gets out, and she prunes them again. No, she gets out the stinking shovel from the garage and just hacks away at those bad boys and rips them out of the front landscaping. I have no idea what we paid for these roses. I probably don't want to know what it costs. But the point is, when it came down to uh, these roses or her kids getting hurt, she was not afraid to go all mama bear on them and yank them right out. And I really think that this is a perfect picture of what it's like for us in the Christian life. The world sees these beautiful flowers, and they can, it can look so good. You know, our, our careers, we can focus so much time and attention on and making sure that the world sees just this right thing. But underneath it, we've got a mess. We've got a complete mess of thorns that as people drive around the cul-de-sac, they just look and go, oh, wow, that's so pretty. And, but the people that are most susceptible are the ones that are closest to us, our kids. They're the ones that are the most likely to fall into the same traps that we've already been prone to, Right? So we've got this image, and if we're not willing to go out and take the shovel out of the garage and hack that thing up at the root, and these things, I had no idea roses had these huge root balls, but, I mean, it's very comparable to what we're talking about. It's not an easy thing to do. It's it's almost major surgery. And I I think about most of my uh, adult life and, and in my career and what the world told me I needed to do was, Work hard, work hard, work hard, work hard, and you're going to be successful, right? And whatever you do, apply yourself 110%. 
My first job, I made sure instead of working 40 hours a week, I'd work 45, and I'd move up. And the next job, I'm in a construction company. If I can show up at 4 o'clock in the morning before anybody else, I'll show them I'll work hard. And success starts to happen. But what also was happening is this thorny mess inside my own life had developed everybody from the outside. I mean, we won some award. It was a 20 under 40 award that, you know, she's coaching softball and going to state championship games. And I'm, you know, a young vice president of a construction company. And everybody thinks we've got it all together. But in reality, what we had was a complete disaster of thorns in our life that if we would allow those things to remain, our kids are going to be susceptible to those. So we had to, uh, maybe not always willingly, uh, move to Missouri and start all over again. And God made sure he put that in our life to do that. But without some application on our part, it wouldn't have happened. Um, I wanted to really quickly, I didn't have this uh, in my notes, which is good because I can't actually see my notes. So I'm not even worried about it now. The Lord put this story on my heart this morning. Um, if you would turn with me to Haggai or Haggai, it's got an H, an A, two G's, an A, and an I. I have no idea how to pronounce that, so I think it's Haggai. Um, it's right after Zephaniah. But in the first chapter, um, while you're turning to that, I, I just want to refresh your, your minds about this story. So basically, uh, the Israelites have been released out of captivity um, from Babylon. So they're in Babylon for 70 years. King Cyrus decides to release them out of captivity. He allows them to go back and start building their temple. They're building the temple. Everybody's all excited. We're building the temple. And next thing you know, you've got a new regime. And you've got the Samaritans that were living in this area that are giving them a bunch of static and a hard time about rebuilding the temple. So uh, while they're giving them a hard time, giving them a bunch of static about it, they, uh, the, the new king sends a letter that says, you've got to stop building the temple. Stop. Shut it down. So he, they've got OSHA on the job site. As a contractor, we love to see OSHA on the job site. It's fantastic. You know you're going to get a fine for something. You just hope it's not going to be that bad. So they decide to go ahead and shut the job down. This shutting down of the job, though, lasts a decade until the time of Haggai or Haggai. And if we look in uh, verse 5, here's the prophecy that Haggai gives them. Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have so much and bring in little. You eat, but you do not have enough. You drink, but you will not, but you are not filled with drink. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages earns wages to put into a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the mountain and bring wood and build the temple that I may take pleasure in it and be glorified, says the Lord. You look for much, but indeed it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, says the Lord of hosts, because of my house that is in ruins, while every one of you runs to his own house. Therefore, the heavens above will you withhold the dew, and the earth withholds its fruit. For I called for a drought on the land and the mountains on the, and the, mountains on the grain and the new wine and, and the oil, on whatever the ground brings forth, on men and livestock and on all the labor of your hands. So, what's going on here? 
you've got everybody going to their own houses. They're putting their houses together, making sure that everything's looking really good. They're getting their houses building up, looking nice. And what have they done? They've completely forgot about the temple of the Lord. And we know from the New Testament that the temple is us. It's our body, right? It's internally. So when we focus our time and attention on building our houses, making everything look as good as we can for the outside world, and we neglect building the temple in here, we basically are going to choke out the word. We're not going to have any fruit, not the way that we should. We're going to drink and not be filled. And that's really a picture of our life when we allow this to take place. Aren't you so glad that I came to talk? I'm a light. I'm I'm such a joy. Let's move on. All right, the good ground. Back to chapter 4. The good ground. Uh, This is the ground that has been prepared to receive the word. We're going to try to talk about that a little bit. All right, so what needs to take place in order to prepare the good ground? Does it just take care of itself? Does it prepare itself? No, it actually uh, requires some effort on our part. We've got to go out there and we've got to till it. Have any of you guys, uh, I'm sure you have, uh, tried to grow a garden in your backyard? I personally haven't, but my mother-in-law was very determined. She wanted to do this at our home and have this garden. So I, we turned her loose, just go to town, and I watched her do it. It looked like a lot of work. Not only did it look like a lot of work, but once you get that ground tilled up and you work at it uh, and you plant it, you just stand back and things grow, and that's it, right? No, she had to pull weeds. The deer start coming out of the wood. It was like you took Ruby Tuesday's salad bar, that beautiful salad bar, and just laid it out there for the deer. We had the fattest deer in three states because they, they ate everything but green beans. Apparently, deer don't like green beans because we had bushels and bushels of green beans. We had no tomatoes. We had no corn. We, I mean, they ate everything, and... So the, the point of my story is just because we get our heart tilled up and we get it in this condition, we have got to be on guard. We've got to protect ourselves. It requires constant maintenance and meditation. So I think I'm at Psalm 1. If you would, uh, I'm going to turn there. You don't have to. But Psalm 1 gives us a little bit of clue on how we can maintain Maintain ourselves. So we're going to read uh, verses 1 through 3. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that shall bring forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. So what this is saying is we have to meditate in his law day and night. That's the key. And uh, meditation to me sounds like one of these cool words. It's probably a lot more intellectual than what I am, or it sounds kind of Eastern, you know, like I should, I should meditate, look at me meditating. But what it really, so I I decided to look this up because I I thought it was smarter than what uh, it really was. What it basically says is to ponder uh, your thoughts while talking to yourself. So when you see me driving down Carsich Boulevard, if you're from Illinois, you call it Carsich. 
I don't know what car she is. But if you see me in my big white truck just blabbering away at myself, I don't want you to think I'm a crazy person. I'm meditating, people. I'm meditating. But that's really, you know, when we, when we think about that, when we have time, quiet time, and coming out of this holiday season, it's a hard thing to do because it's so busy. We're so packed in with so much stuff. The only way we can truly uh, get in the Word and get ourselves cultivated is to find that spot where we can meditate and we can chew on that. And I love Peter's uh, Bible plan, this Bible study together plan, because it, it, it is only 10 minutes a day. It's a beautiful thing because we've now got time to plan in our day to meditate on what he's saying instead of a plan where it's chapters upon chapters, and I'm not even sure what I read because, I hey, but I read 20 pages. I feel good about that. Maybe we can take the time to actually not just read it, but repeat it over and over again. Let it, let it circulate. Let it uh, simmer. So what then is required for us to be able to sow into the lives of other people? And going back to Mark 4, I am going to poach just a little bit on the next teaching because the odds of you remembering that I did this are probably slim. And I apologize to Jared ahead of time. All right. But we see required method for sowing in verses 26 through 28. And he said, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground and shouldn't sleep by night, rise by day, and the seed should sprout and grow. He himself does not know how, for the earth yields crops by itself, first the blade, then the head, and after that the full head of grain. But when the grain ripens immediately, he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. So we're going to sow seed in other people's lives. What is the right way of doing that? Right here, it basically says our requirement is to scatter it. I don't think it matters if we scatter it underhand, overhand, behind the back, no look past, pie slam, a jam, a slam, dunk it. At the end of the day, what it says is we go to bed and we have no idea what happened. We don't even know. This is something that takes place that is divine. It's holy. It, it begins to sprout up. So um, I might have to actually get up and read All right, so <laughs> moving on, as we look at how uh, we can sow into other people's lives, you can think back a little bit of how people have sowed into your life. So I think uh, about a particular story. There's a, a lovely lady. Her name was Judy Kelsheimer, and she was our high school youth group leader. Judy was also my kindergarten school teacher, so just a sweet lady. And uh, there were four high school boys that graduated at the same time. All four of us were... Uh, sons of leaders at the church. So you can imagine what kind of pure joys we were to have in high school youth group. No tomfoolery there at all. I mean, we had to be a nightmare for this poor lady. But for our senior graduation gift, Judy gives us self-addressed envelopes with little slips of paper. And the slips of paper were uh, an order form so that we could order cookies. She would home make us cookies. We drop them in the envelope. We mail them to her. And she sends us back cookies in our dorm room. It's a beautiful thing. Now, you can imagine what a uh, college freshman's going to do with that. I didn't do anything with it. I never, I probably didn't even keep it. But about two weeks into my freshman year of college, what shows up at my dorm? But two dozen fresh-baked chocolate chip cookies. 
And I don't know, ladies, I don't understand this. She put that piece of bread in the, the Ziploc bag, and the cookies were moist, but the bread got really hard, like rock hard. I'm not going to admit it, but it's possible that maybe some hockey was played with that piece of bread or a, or a dare maybe to somebody to eat it. I don't know. But the, the thing was, what she did is she, she sowed love. She sowed the very love of Jesus through chocolate chip cookies. She didn't evangelize into my life at all. But, you know, growing up Baptist, I could sit on that back row and you start evangelizing hell and death. To me, I can flip that switch off. I'm done. I'm out. I can probably take a nap. But if you do something for me in my life, like sending me cookies when I didn't expect it, I mean, that, that is pure love coming from somebody that took time out of her day to do that for me. And I think that's something, um, and quite frankly, it took 20 years for that seed that she planted before I was ever sitting up here. So you can see how that works really in, in someone's life. Um, so what opportunities do we have out there? Uh, you can see a picture. Sorry, Ange, I didn't have the basement picked up when I took that picture. But that's our classroom downstairs. And up there on the stage is Joel Allen. And Joel is leading worship in the basement. So here's an example of sowing seed into some fertile ground. This young man thinks the world of Brian Woodson and Jared Toon. He didn't actually know Jared's name was Jared until a couple weeks ago. He thought he was Levi Ben Judah Ninjutsu Barbecue, but he just learned his name's Jared, so we're excited about that. But what he wants to do is he wants to lead worship in our basement. He's, he led us in a rousing rendition of My Lighthouse, Shining in the Dorkiness, wherever the Dorkiness is. But uh, what I liked about this right here is he, he decided to ask anybody if they wanted to get up on stage with him and pray. It's just me and his brother. His brother is sitting back in the background cowering in fear because he doesn't want to get up and pray. He's too embarrassed. He said, people just stare at me. I said, well, buddy, have you, have you tried to pray about it maybe and ask God to calm your nerves? And he said, I twied that, Dad. It doesn't work. <laughs> so anyway, but what, what we see here, though, is this seed being sown right next door. There's great things happening. If you're looking for an opportunity to sow seed in the lives of other people, I know a lot of you serve over there. Uh, we get the opportunity to do it. I don't know how good of a job I do. I just know that I'm there. Most days, I'm just telling people I like your shoes. Um, I, I really like your new haircut. Can I borrow that jacket? But really what I'm doing, though, is I'm, I'm sharing the love of Jesus with these little ones, trying to sow that seed into some of the most fertile ground we've got. So for a lot of us, you know, we're, we're probably past our halfway point in our life. And for most of us, our salvation is already secure too. But for these guys, this is Satan's number one target. And I'm not just saying this because they're my kids, but we've got our youth group next door now too. I mean, these are the ones that we need to be investing in as much as we can, as often as we can. And it doesn't have to be anything more than just showing them a little bit of love. So... Anyway, I leave you with a, uh, a quote down at the bottom from Tozer that says, The method of winning a man to God is a divine method, not a human one. So we don't understand even what takes place. Our responsibility is to grab a handful of that seed and scatter it. So Heavenly Father, we thank you so much uh, for an opportunity to come before you to crack open your word, to read, 
And uh, hopefully some of that seed settles in, either with us or with people that are in our lives that we know um, need the Word. They need Jesus. And we just thank you so much um, for Wednesday nights. It's such a good pick-me-up in the middle of the week. Um, It's such a nice way to boost ourselves until we can get to the end of this hustle and bustle. We thank you for bringing us through the craziness of the holiday season and, uh, and helping us survive that. And we pray uh, as we move on that we would look for those spots and those areas to sow seed into the lives of others. In Jesus' name, amen.